it's Lisa Cordoff. Welcome to the podcast where you can expect inspiring, raw, energizing, and transformative conversations with people on the path of personal evolution. I'm here to really live my life. And if you are too, these conversations are just for you. I'm really glad you're here. Enjoy. All right. So um, people might not know, but and I don't know which order these are going to be released in, but this is the very first interview that I'm doing for Conversations. So I'm really glad that it happens to be with my amazing friend, Elisa Latto. Hey, Elisa. Hello, Lisa. Wow. So I'm, I'm sort of the first. You are. This the is the virgin, virgin, the sacrificial virgin case. <laughs> yes. So if this fucks up, it's your fault, and um, probably mine too. No, it won't. But the reason why I, I I'm so glad to be starting with you is because we've actually become really close friends over like a pretty crazy time in both our lives. Yeah. I'm not even too sure when we first connected, but I was watching you online. I think we were both watching each other, actually, yeah. as you were building up 123 Nourish Me, which is one of my favorite brands in the world and we'll send everyone your way. Um, but it was about you as a woman that I was really attracted to. I literally just liked hearing you talking. I just, I liked your words. You seem to be one of those people who had their shit figured out. I'm attracted to that. <laughs> and, then, and, then you, and then you actually get to know the person and you're like, oh, we're all just figuring it out. I think we, we first met, I think, in Melbourne because I actually found a photo the other day where we were at this cafe and I was on Perth time. So I'd had to get up at um, six o'clock Melbourne time, which was three o'clock Perth time to come and meet you, never having met and mm. I thought you were worth it. You were worth that early early wake up. And we sat in this cafe, you and I, I mean, we'd connected on online. I felt a little bit sorry for the people sitting around us because I don't know if there was much, you know, pausing. But I think <laughs> the great thing about you and I, like I don't really even know what we're going to talk about today, mm. but the thing with conversations with you and I is it doesn't really matter what the subject is because we can go straight to the heart of anything mm. and it's an interesting conversation, which is kind of where you and I are both at. We're not very good with surfacey stuff. No. We're not very good at talking about um, stuff that doesn't matter. We like to talk about whatever it is that matters. Yeah. And, you know, when you came, we were both in Bali um, when in September. So I was there with the three kids just very soon after Nick had died, like literally a week and a half or something. And you came to see me and it was funny because I just thought, yeah, of course it's you. Of course it's you who's here right now. And I think, of course, you're the one who's lined up to be the very first conversation here. And we're going to be talking about a topic uh, that I think not many people really honestly talk about. And it affects so many more people than maybe I in my little um, middle-class suburban, um, you know, couples stick together and ride out the storms. Like I didn't have that many friends with divorced parents. And as I'm growing up, like which is happening, even although I feel 27, more and more people that I know are going through marriage separation and, and divorce, but still there doesn't seem to be that much conversation about it. And you and I have had lots of conversation and I 
I wanted to start this one on the back of a post that I saw you write about your boys. And and because I think it's not so the people going through it, we bring all our own stuff to this life, particular life event, but then so does everybody else brings all their stuff to your particular life event. And it was you kind of doing a bit of a finger up at the world and that whole concept of children coming from a broken home and like your refusal to let the fact that, um, that, that your boys, you have twin boys, their parents aren't living in the same house anymore actually mean anything about, you know, their life in general. Like this is not some foregone conclusion that they're going to to struggle or that they're, they are going to be the result of uh, growing up in a broken home. Yeah, totally. so I think, I think the thing is, is going back to your first point, we don't tell the truth, not even in divorce and separation, but we don't tell the truth in marriage. Mm. You know, very, very rarely know what's going on in anybody's marriage. We mm. have this kind of thing that I won't really tell you what's going on in my marriage and you don't really tell me what's going on in your marriage and we're going to play this game where we um, just kind of do our thing and we don't really go, I'm fucking struggling with this aspect of marriage. My partner is really triggering me and challenging me in all of these areas. Um, We are unaligned with our parenting. We are unaligned with our sexuality or our desires or we are we are not on the same page with financial responsibility, whatever it is. And by the way, they're the top three things, you know, why marriages don't work. It's finances, sex, and misaligned or non-aligned parenting. So very, very few people tell you the truth about that non-alignment with that stuff. So that's one aspect. Then when you get to the point of leaving a marriage, it's incredibly uncomfortable actually for everybody else because it it kind of brings up, well, there's a number of things. It's like, well, have you tried hard enough? Um, But for the grace of God, go me. So I don't want to go too far into the grief and pain of you having to exit and make the choice to leave your marriage and um, the grief around the loss of the family unit because I couldn't bear the thought of having to go there myself. Mm. you know so there's this kind of and then an interesting thing happens where we we kind of can't really sit with the pain of that loss in another person it's tough it really is and leaving a marriage and leaving a marriage with children Mm. is fucking brutal Mm. it It really is and it's not just the loss of that person I mean you've experienced the loss of that person not only in the marriage but also in life there's this there's this duality there for you but in you know when when you leave a marriage you're not only losing that person but you're losing the concept of the dream of the family unit and that's as much grief in that as there is in the loss of that person oh i i i believe and you know, our marriage, we separated in February and Nick passed away in September, that the grief around that my life is not what I thought it was going to be 
and like losing that person as you had them in your life. Like your children are not going to grow up in a family where two parents live there. That that was that was so traumatic. And his his death obviously traumatic, but almost like I'd done so much grieving. I, I said to a friend who's who's recently separated, like literally what you're going through now was almost because you're grieving something that is all, already almost still there. Like it Type still could exist. So there's just that whole mind fuck around like, did I give it ever like should we like it takes so much to get to the point of actually making a decision. And then everyone around you has their opinions as well. Like I was asked by people, but did you, did you try counseling? (laughs) (laughs) That's so useful when people say that. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Because I would choose this as my first port of call. You, Uh, but it's true. But I, I love that you said that, that there's not honest conversation about what's going on inside marriages. I mean, no. why, why, do you, why do you think that is? Are we all just trying to, like, are we trying to protect? Like, I mean, I felt a lot of protection around um, Nick's particular journey and I was, you know, so I, I felt like I couldn't really talk about a lot of things. But yeah, what, it's the real work. It's the real work and it's shame-based and it's exposing and it's difficult to talk about your own role within what's not working in your marriage. It's very, Mm. it's all about him. He's abusive. He's this, he's that, he's difficult. He's got, you know, challenging this, but actually to, to bring that journey back to our own role in that it's, it's the real work and it's, most of us don't want to do that real work. And in separating and divorcing and having that time, there is no choice but to do that work. So it puts you into a place where your whole, um, I found that during my separation um, that it was very, very difficult to connect with people who were not in the same place for a period of time because the, the amount of opening up that your heart space has to do in order to be broken many times over when their heart space is not doing that work. It's, it's a difficult journey to connect with other people unless they can sit with you in that massive amount of pain. And we are all so crap with being present with the pain of another person. And I think I said this to you in Bali, you know, I think it's very, very difficult long-term to truly sit with the pain of another person with uncomfortable subjects. We can do it in the immediate time frame, you know, when there's the drama or the tragedy or whatever, but actually what happens when you're not feeling great six months on and you're still feeling pretty shit? Can you be present for the pain of another person, you know, over the long term? So I think, you know, and sometimes this, this grief, it's not, a, it's not a linear path. It's up, down, up, down. I'm great at the moment. I'm broken today. It's this changeable energy that doesn't exist in a way that presents to the world, oh, I'm okay. And they want to know that you're okay because they don't want to be present when you're not okay. Mm. You know what I'm saying? 100%. But I have also experienced the flip side of that. So that people find it hard when I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, right. That, that, um, that their expectations would be that I'd be a certain, I'd be feeling a certain way. And so I might be moving on 
and moving through things at almost a faster rate than they are because I've been forced into doing all my own work on this. Like, and also because of, I guess, who I am is like, you know, I'm just looking at things and, and I don't, I choose not to um, get stuck in something for too, too long, but that is not cool for their frame of reference for how someone should be. Mm. Uh, There's these expectations that you've almost got to kind of, well, I mean, I did fall apart. I absolutely fell apart um, at the start of the year. That was, that was really, really intense. And you're right. Like there weren't many people who could just really sit with me in that apart from the people who had been through it before. Mm. But then when I started to feel better, it was also deeply uncomfortable for people close to me, for me to, to be okay. How interesting. So this is, a, this is a, uh, an interesting concept that, you know, in the Western world, we're not taught the stages of grief. And if you move from stage, stages of grief one to four in a month, when people expect you to stay in stage one for a year, you know, we, we have this different, but, but we're not equipped to know how to, to deal with that. We have this expectation from our own experience that this is what grief is. This is what grief looks like. Mm. And when it doesn't follow that path, yeah, it cha- it's challenging to, to people around us. And I mean, we can only ever forge our own way with grief, with separation, with tragedy, with anything in life that happens. It's our own journey, isn't it? I mean, it's just who's to say? I mean, you don't know what your journey is. You might be fine this week. You don't know next week, next oh. month, next year. We don't know. Oh. And, and we have to sit in that unknowingness, I think, and that unknowingness is the uncomfortable space for the people that love and love us and want us to be a certain way. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that we're so, you know, in some cultures they have so many rituals around grief and grieving. We have rituals around funerals. Yeah. But what happens after that? Like what happens, do you know what I mean? We, oh. don't, we don't know what to do after that or, or what the rule book is for moving through that pain. There is none. No, we, we don't have any, there's no guidebooks. I've looked for them. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's also, yeah, you have to establish your own ritual around that, that kind of thing. But you know what? It's the, what you, you just said about the unknown. Did you find that, because I found that actually quite scary, but then also quite liberating quite quickly, this whole, you know, once the decision had been made, uh, the, that, it kind of, well, it, it blows up your life in all kinds of weird ways. But to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I could. So that was when I went through my stage of emailing the green school in Bali to go and live there. I remember getting your message going, I think it's time to move to Bali. I was like, I just wait, like maybe wait another few weeks to decide that you're going to forge a new life in Bali that you've never been before. I've never been to Bali. <laughs> I had literally never been. And I was like, no, we're moving. Um, but did you, like that that whole concept of the unknown, do you find that um, liberating or did you find that scary? Like do you, well, do you like the certainty of marriage? What I know for sure is that we can survive and heal from anything mm. in life. There is anything. And I'm someone who's been through open heart surgery. So I'm speaking from a very, very, like in terms of physical trauma, we can survive and heal from anything in life. 
I think the fear is that we won't. Mm. And that's where the pain sits. It's not the actual surviving. It's the, it's the mental connection to that we won't survive that trauma and pain. So actually the battle or the conversation is with our own self, mm. not with the journey itself. The journey itself is survivable. Yes, and so it's the way we're talking to ourselves about it. Yeah, that determines. And did you did you have to work on that? Did of course. You- I mean, I came out of a fourteen year marriage. Um, it's a long time to know who I was. Who am I when I'm not somebody's wife? Oh. Who am I when I'm not um, somebody's? family unit what do I actually even like to do today what do I really what do I actually feel like eating if I'm just cooking for me what do I um like to wear that I feel really empowered that I'm not really taking somebody else's opinion into consideration around there are a million micro decisions and micro thoughts that happen over a lifetime of a marriage, that when that marriage falls away, you have this entirely new opportunity to recreate everything that you are. Mm. And I actually realised after my marriage ended that I actually was very unsure of those things. So I had to go back to the absolute basics about what brings me joy and then relentlessly seeking that joy on an hourly daily, weekly basis. So it came down to very simple, simple things for me. And it's going to sound so simplistic, but really I had to go back to, okay, what do I like to do? I like to swim in the ocean. That gives me a feeling like as I dive into that water, that gives me a feeling that I can't, in that moment, I'm absolutely okay. So I had to move my life to be near the ocean. That was a really important thing for me. I need to be away from my children frequently. I just Amen. That's, that's a confronting thing for people to hear because they're like, that's so what you go away a lot. I'm like, well, yes, and that's how I can survive parenthood. Like I and I like to be with my children a lot too, but it's not all the time. I like to be away from them. I like to drink coffee. Um, I like to um, have a lot of time on my own. I like to read my books. I like to be with my mum. I like to have girlfriends that I can have real conversations with. So it's about six or seven things that just were built into my day that I know now that if I can have an ocean swim and a coffee and I have a little bit of time away from my kids, it's a pretty bloody good day. Isn't it so amazing how we can get so disconnected from those things and also how we can, we can like, I mean, I work with lots of women who are, who are, I don't know what makes me feel happy and they're just right there. They're just right there and they're not big, huge, crazy things. It's just like if I'm being really honest with myself, no. what do I... What do I need right now? What do I so like? This is, this is re- irrelevant of in marriage or out of marriage. Actually, our own work is our own connection to our joy. Yes, I 100% agree. But I feel like we can get so in the mindset, I know I did, of thinking about the other person and what they need and who I am in the context of the marriage, which is what you were alluding to as well, that without that, 
it it was just it you were forced to ask yourself the questions okay well i keep on looking around expecting to see someone or having something to do or having a conversation or having an argument even about like unpacking the dishwasher what what do you when you're by yourself it's a completely different feeling it's a completely different conversation in your head mm. and i'm very i'm very conscious too what i notice with a lot of people that separate or divorce is that they are um, they go through a period of time where they're incredibly disparaging of their ex, their ex-partner. Mm. They're very, um, and I've always found that a very interesting concept because um, actually you chose that person. So what does that say, bringing it back to your own selection process? Mm-hmm. So I've been very mindful in divorcing and separating to hold the person that I am no longer married to in the most loving regard that I can during that extraction process of myself. Mm-hmm. Now, I think in, in a marriage, unless you have an enormously strong sense of self, there are tiny parts of you that are taken or there are tiny parts of you that are built up over a lifetime. And you don't notice it because it's little comments or it's little changes or it's little ways that you bend and sway to fit into a partnership or that you make yourself a little bit less than or a little bit less seen or a little bit more covered and then after you get to 10 years or you know 14 years you look down and you notice you're missing part of your arm and you go I mean not all marriages are like this because some marriages are you know you build up but in many marriages we bend and sway in a way that we're not as we were when we started, we, we, we tend to, so I think in a marriage too, it's a beautiful opportunity to go, hang on, where am I most centered in this marriage as well? And where, where, where do I not want to bend and sway so much to get back into myself and my own sort of centered energy? Because this is why so many marriages are unhappy, Mm. you know, because women in particular, we, change and shift ourselves and we have lost connection to our joy because we're we're someone's wife and mother. We're no longer Elisa, this human being in the world that's shining their light. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think whether you're in a marriage or out of a marriage, it's it's a a massive thing to bring your centred energy back to yourself Yes, time to, to sort of just be grounded in who you are as a person. What brings you joy? What makes me happy today? How can I feel fulfilled and creative and alive, not just existing and borderline freaking depressed, which is how a lot of us go through life? Oh, yeah, absolute low-level anxiety, stress, yes. depression. It's all just sort of sitting there under the surface. So <clears throat> I started doing this work um, over the past few years to to try and figure out how to be okay when things weren't feeling particularly okay. Um, but but certainly that moment of really, or this year of really being by my, like, you know, not, not being in the context of my marriage in the way that I was offered that freedom to explore myself in new ways. But I think it's also absolutely possible to start doing that within a marriage. I mean, I was doing a lot of it in the marriage. Um, But then also having to be okay with other people or with your partner being a little bit uncomfortable with 
a changing version of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see a lot of women come in and they to ready for change. They really want to step into themselves a bit more, give themselves permission to to grow and evolve. And so often, it's the expectations of their partner mm-hmm. or or the the context of their partnership that holds them back. It kind so of- let me ask. I'm interested to ask you how how if I was to ask you now. Um, how you feel in terms of freedom in yourself today as to a year ago. Where, where are you at with that? Where, where, does, like, where is your own internal joy barometer? I, you know what, I used to have to work for it. I used to have to consciously choose it. So I was consciously aware each I would ask literally ask myself every day what what do I need to do to feel good today what could I do to feel happy um to you know raise my vibration because it was heavy you know it was really hard and heavy and um and whereas now I I think I'm naturally I'm naturally an optimistic person I'm naturally a high vibe kind of person I've built a business that gives me energy like and and now it's like I'm almost more conscious instead of having like being sort of there and going, but I really want to feel like this and doing things there. I feel like now I'm there yeah, and, I'm so, and I'm so aware of what brings it down, where the energy leaks are and and what will lower my vibration because I just feel like now, like even in the house, like I get to set. I set the tone yeah. for my own for my own life. And so I can kind of consciously be aware of what affects that. And instead of um because I had become a certain person in that marriage, it wasn't all about it was about how I operated in it. And um and it was, you know, it wasn't healthy for me. Uh to have to work that hard to feel good. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind of earning your joy rather than existing in your joy. Like I, I just accept it as my state of being now. Yeah. Yeah. Not and that. I, I think it's an interesting it. conversation too, because uh, it's not just about marriages, but also about our children. Because being our most joyful self makes our children their most joyful self. Oh, so, yes. you know, this is a very, very important thing that we are doing a massive disservice to our children in running ourselves dry and completely being without um, that sense of connection to our own spirit. And I want my boys to see the happiest version of their mum yep. and also a mum that tells the truth when it's not happiness. Yes. The truth about that, you know, like I've had to have so many conversations with my boys about, um, you know, that we have two houses and that we um, we have two sets of values within those houses. I mean, that's mm. tricky for little people because, mm. you know, that's a lot to get through. But Dad and I absolutely want each other to be the happiest versions of ourselves that we can be. Yeah. That's a priority and... We will always be on the same side, which is their side. Yep, yep. We we spoke about it in terms of um, we've we're we're more a friends love now than a married love, 
And that seemed to make sense to the kids. Like still, we still love each other, which is true, but we're, we're a friend's love now and friends don't usually live together. Um, and you know, unfortunately it never got to the stage where, you know, um, the kids were living in the two separate houses, but, um, but I can imagine the trickiness of that. And, uh, and there's so much conversation that has to happen around children. And when we can do that in a really grounded way, it gives them a security. It just, just being grounded in the conversation. I went, my, I went into my boy's classroom and I, one of my little boys had done this piece of artwork and it said, you know, done this story in this picture. And it said, um, I have two houses because mum and dad are no longer married. And I was like, ah. Oh ouch and it's like right where everyone could see and I was like and then I turned the page and he said and it's epic and oh. I'm like I just feel in this moment I've nailed it because, you have nailed it you because, because it's epic that he has two houses is, yeah. and it's epic that mum and dad <laughs> but isn't that like but we get to almost tell the story of this yeah. for them at this yeah. age and I'm seeing this also with death and with language around emotions and allowing emotions and like it's a beautiful thing to be able to um, from a place of having done our own work mm-hmm. influence our kids in in that way but um, I had a question just on what a bit on what you were sharing before and obviously now being on the other side of this did you did you stay longer than you perhaps like looking back now were you scared were you scared to leave and if you knew what you knew now would you have stayed as uh yes yeah, so of course we always stay far longer than um than you know, we we knew we knew a long time before. You always know. Yeah. However, it is very hard to leave a marriage with young children mm. as a woman. It's mm. the truth. It's very hard because um, financially you're at a disadvantage. Generally, um, generally, um, men are the breadwinner of that family unit. Not always, but generally. So I left with two four-year-olds with no money. No, I mean that's hard. Mm. That is so hard. And I sometimes think, I think two things. I think sometimes I think I left at a brilliant age because it was at an age where I could very easily um, mould it, mould the story for them. But it wasn't an easy age because I had two four-year-olds as well. So that was a massive leap of faith of absolutely trusting that I will be provided for energetically in the world and I lived very, very simply when I left my marriage. I um, I moved to the other side of Australia. I lived in a shitty rental. I had very little. And I built a business from scratch at mm. night while my children were in kindergarten. You know, like it's uh, I poured all of that energy into a creative endeavour, which has ended up being a very successful creative endeavour. But I think it's very difficult for women to leave because of finances Mm. very often. It's not an easy thing. And I think you get to the point of leaving when it's the struggle of leaving and even the fear around leaving is is easier than staying. Mm, Yeah, I would vouch for that. You know, so um, 
it was time. Yeah, I could have left earlier, but what, left with two two-year-olds? I mean, even that sort of fills me with dread. Sometimes when, you know, you have to wait until you feel that that, that balance is right for you. So, um, and the other thing I just wanted to say, if you don't mind, just with something you were saying before that just jumped into my mind about defining that conversation and, and when we're doing our work, this is where divorce or death or, or any of this does ne- never ever has to define our children because we can actually make this the most incredibly profound experience through our language, through our communication, through their ability to feel empathy. And I really reject, this is what my post was about, I really reject that these defining life moments need to define our kids yeah. That's why I don't do terms like product of divorce or, yeah. you know, up, and I'm sure you've had many of these things that I don't want my children to be defined by this because this experience has happened. It doesn't have to define. I'm very clear on that. Like I feel really that we don't have to let those things define who they become. They, they will become exactly who they're meant to be because of this beautiful, amazing, difficult, painful, horrendous experience. All of those things will make them into who they're meant to be. Right. And it's not a worse version. I will hold my children, the vision of them, amazingly centered and grounded and loving their lives and loving themselves. And I will just hold, that's, that's how I hold them. That's how I see them. And so that's how they'll end up hopefully seeing themselves. And, you know, even just, I, I look for gifts all the time and like right now I'm thinking that the gift, there's a, you know, there's gifts all the way through this, even although it's, you know, not easy. And the gift of having their feelings validated mm. and no, and, and being heard, like I am, there is so much space for them right now f- from me. Like I just have cleared stuff when they are around, you know, we're together. I'm still doing the things and you know, making dinner and all of that sort of stuff, but there's space. And, and, and I wonder if I was ever as present to, uh, you know, this year, especially to validating how they feel and them feeling 100% secure in whatever it is, but then also grabbing tools from this very young age and learning tools in how to move through things and not hold on to particular emotions on ongoing as though it's like a given. I mean, you saw, uh, you saw the kids in Bali. They're still just kids who just want to play in the pool. And they just, just want to do water aerobics in the pool. <laughs> oh my God. She was so cute. It was the funniest thing, wasn't it? My youngest, she was five and she just, she just started doing the water aerobics with all of the other people. We just saw this oh, little head bobbing there. But, you know, like, but it's okay, like, to have the freedom to be. And I don't know, I, I see that as a real, as a real gift, that there's, like, a spotlight on on them. Like, I just, I don't know, it's almost like a, a light, not a line in the sand moment. It is a defining, I think it's a moment. It's definitely a moment and it's one of those, I don't know, I, I see a lot of people and I help, you know, a lot of women and uh, some people are still holding on to things and having their lives 
be a result of things that happened like 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. And I can see that. I can see how it happens. But is that what you're saying? Like you, you don't want your boys living in the story of of this and yeah, having that be. I think it's exactly what you said. It's about being truly present for the pain of another, mm. being in the, for our children too, and Thanks. being incredibly mindful of our language. I'm a massive believer in the power of words. Mm. You know, like the the, wor- the words we use, and I have to stop my boys all the time, and they'll say, um, "Okay, can I just share? Can I share a personal?" Um, a personal uh, example of what I'm trying to say. This morning we go to school and uh, one of my boys were there, was there with their dad. One of my boys said, Mum, do you want to come and see the my spelling test? I got 18 out of 20. And I say, that's amazing. You got 18 words right. And Dad says, what were the two words you got wrong? Mm. You know, so there's this um, and, I, and I looked at him and I said, do you know what? Um, let's talk about there's value in learning about the ones that he got wrong for sure. Right now let's focus on the 18 that he got right because that's a what, what 18. That's an amazing result. It's pretty, that's pretty, that's worth, we don't want to go straight to the two. Mm. And our language around our kids, you know, validating whatever they're expressing, we have, I, I'm very, very mindful of the words I use around them and the words they use around themselves. I ask them all the time, who loves you more than anyone in the world? And the answer is always myself, themselves. They love themselves more than anybody, more than mum and dad. They love themselves. And you know, so we, we must be mindful of our language and our um, the words we use around our kids because that defines their own internal dialogue and their own inner voice. 100%. And it's those things that are more insidious and it's our patterns of, of behaviour and our patterns of talking to them that I think are more defining for them as they continue to grow as opposed to, you know, particular life events. And because, you know, I still, I still hear, you know, some things that my parents said, and that is, that is my internal dialogue. And that has kept me kind of, you know, almost striving. Like I was definitely the uh, achiever in my family, the academic in my family. And, but so it was always like, I mean, A is good, but you know, we can always do better. You know what's a really, really powerful thing that I've found to do with my kids too is to, um, you know, we're very, very good at giving our kids feedback coaching. We don't often ask our kids for feedback and coaching on how we're going as a mother or as a parent. (gasps) And so I sit down with my kids and I say, um, guys, what is one thing that's really difficult about me as a mum? I'm really interested to hear. Like there's no wrong answer and... Um, you know, that feedback and them being able to give us feedback too on how we're going. What do you need from me as a mum? Mm. These are really important questions that we don't ask our kids mm. because somehow we're the, we take that parental role that the feedback and the criticism or whatever comes from us to them. But we don't hear it in reverse from them. And you'll be very surprised if you go and ask your kids this question. What is, tell me two really hard things about me being your mum. What's the what's the what's a tricky thing about me that's hard to for you? 
Mm. You know, you want honest feedback, you go ask that question to your kids. Oh, I'm totally going to do that. I have absolutely done the what What do you need? Uh, can you let me know what you need? And uh, and it's always so interesting. Yeah. It's so, and because I've got three kids all at different ages and a boy and two girls, it is just fascinating to me. But also, you know what has been very interesting at this moment is how much of it uh, is about physical touch. Yeah. And and they just like, I just want you to sit on the couch. Yeah. And we just don't realize, like we're so busy doing all the things for them and taking them around to all the places and, you know, think like keeping a tidy house. Fuck that. They just literally actually want me to sit on the couch. Yeah. What? That's how easy it is to fill their cup for them to feel like they're getting what they need. All right. Okay. Yeah. Like, thanks for that. And I'll say the default no, you know, when you're a stretched single parent or, you know, even within a, you know, nuclear family, we can get into default no's a lot with our kids, mm. that it's a, it's a no when it really doesn't need to be a no, you know. And like the kids will say, it's time jump in the pool, mum. I'm like, it's 6.30. I just want you to go to bed. Actually, you know what? I can jump in the pool. That's actually, that's a yes. Why can't I jump in the pool? Yes, it's annoying. It's probably not what my hair would have wanted. <laughs> I saw it, the Insta story on that and I was like, go, you thing. You know, and so I think sometimes those little micro connections with our kids of saying yeses when we're, you know, it's of course, sometimes you have to say no's and mm. that's so important as well. But more yeses, man, more yeses. I love this. And can I just ask you now, just as a kind of changing the, the conversation, mm-hmm. about um, singledom or yeah, about... You would go here. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have to share what we WhatsApp to each other. Um, let's be real. But, um, but experiencing yourself as a, as a single woman and um, dating again or things like that on the other side of a marriage and, you know, at a more mature age than you were when you were doing it previously. Yeah. This What's, is a whole, this is a whole podcast. Oh, this is, this is dating a podcast. Qualities. Let's do another. <laughs> you really need to start a podcast on this. It's massive. And you know, mm. like, if you're, you've been like me in a long-term marriage, dating in your 40s is you want personal growth, you go try dating in your 40s. Like you, <laughs> you are going to be challenged and triggered and it's so, it's so full-on, you know. It's mm. a, and it's the most interesting way to learn quickly about your own um, areas that you haven't healed and I don't really look at it as dating so much. I look at it, I'm in the stage of my life that I'm meeting interesting people to determine mm. whether I will date them. So I, yeah. that's the only way my brain can kind of do it because if I feel like I'm just dating, it's it's kind of overwhelms me a bit. But I'm really up for meeting interesting men, a lot of them. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. <laughs> so I am in that meeting interesting men phase yeah. and um, and I have extremely different requirements now for relationships than mm. I did in my 20s. I see red flags that I didn't see. I don't allow things that I, you know, used to allow. I 
Um, My time and my resources are extremely precious. Mm. So if you're not actually at a level that warrants my time, I'm very, very quick to discard because um, I don't waste my time with people that I don't feel a connection with. So I'm probably a little bit more brutal and less accepting than I was in my 20s, but I attract far more interesting people Mm -hmm. because, you know, your energetic vibration is quite different and I don't do small talk, so we get to stuff pretty quickly. So I, you know, I managed to alienate quite a lot of people quite fast with (laughs) So if they can't handle that, that's probably, I I sort of know it in the first 10 minutes, you know. So it's a a journey and a process dating in your 40s and it is, um, I'm having the time of my life. You know, started, when I first started dating, it was very, very confronting and I'm now through that and it's an amazing adventure of meeting people that I've just never normally met. So yeah, bring it. I just, and and it's just so fun. Uh, there's been, like when I, I remember when I had um, my son and I had a few key people who I would look to for, for parenting advice. Like I'd really liked how they'd raised their kids or, you know, you know, I just had, had two people who were kind of my go-tos and, uh, and I found um, on the other side of my marriage, that there are a few people who I really um, enjoyed and respected their perspective on, you know, what literally sort of how they navigated things. And you've been one of my people who I have, um, I mean, I've we've just spoken quite a bit about the fact it doesn't actually have to be because I think a lot of people expect you to be, you know, in mourning or grieving and, you know, that's going to go on for as long as it is for each individual person, but that it can also be really fun Mm. and um, to experience yourself Mm. in brand new ways with brand new people. I mean, it's like, it felt, it feels like a gift. Mm. It's the incredible adventure to be in a different life stage in your 40s it's like whoa this is all possible right my life's just starting right and I I remember speaking to someone um and she's like you know what I'm actually starting to get a little bit jealous of all of my single friends because they're just going out all the time they're living life to the max and I'm just sitting here on the couch with this person going, what the fuck am I doing here? I want to go out and party. Like, go out and party. <laughs> I, love it. I know I'm the same. My, my, my friends are like, okay, what's the latest? Like, we're, we're living through you here. What, what's going on? Who's, they're, they're loving it, you know. Because, and it's it's true. Like, you're, like, I'm very lit up at the moment in my life. Mm. I'm very... I'm very lit up. But you have to go through a process, I think, for me. It took a while to get to being lit up. There's many yes, stages yes, of being. Yes, um, And, you know, today I had my coffee. I've had my ocean swim. Had a beautiful chat with you. Like, how great is today, honestly? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I am. Um, and, you know, we should probably wrap up, even although we could just keep talking like forever and I can see us covering a few more different topics. But I just, I... I love um, getting your perspective on things because you are such a considered and 
like consciously living person in everything that you do. It was why I was attracted to what you used to say about food. Like you just stand, once you know, you just stand in what you know and you share really from from a really amazing place. But the whole point of this podcast is to also share the stuff that is going on for real people who I see as people standing in their personal power. But the fact that you have to do the work in order to get there, like it doesn't just, it's not just handed to you. You have, you've been through so much in your life and you guys, I mean, just Google Elisa Latto and she'll come up on Australian story. I mean, you have gone through so much the way your boys were born, your brother, like all sorts of things, your heart condition. And, um, and sometimes I think we can see people from the surface and think that that's the whole story, but there's always so much more to it. And um, it was why I asked you to come and, and speak because I knew people would just get this new perspective into you um, and you know, know the person who I am really privileged to call a friend. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. And I just wanted to say um, that you can never underestimate the power of female friendships, actually. Oh. You know, and, and I'm equally grateful for yours. And our female friendships sustain us in a way that really is quite hard to put into words. So thank you for your beautiful friendship too. And thank you for having me as one of your first people on your podcast. OMG. And do you know, like for how long I've said, all I just really want to do is have a show where I can just have conversations with yeah. people. And yeah. like, literally I've been saying that for about three years hmm. and you know, like, well, why don't you just do that thing, Lisa? You know, right. so, so we're doing it. So yes. this, and this is the point, like these are beautiful, rich conversations and honest conversations that a lot of, you know, and I just want to share them because in like what is most personal is most general. So no matter whether people have experienced um, marriage separation, whether they've even got children, they will have heard things in this because of the humanity that you bring to how you speak and who, who you are. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now I'm gonna now we'll jump off here, we'll stop recording and we'll have a chat about your latest dates because I need to get an update. <laughs> okay. See you, everyone. Hey, if you're enjoying the conversation, then it would mean the world to me if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It really makes a difference and it's my intention to get as many of us involved in real conversations that really change the game as possible. Thanks so much for your help and I'll see you in the next episode. 